And I don't have no explanation. No explanation. I'm just hurt. I'm just hurt. And I know that it's complicated. It's complicated. But it still hurts. Yeah. We supposed to be free. We supposed to be free. And why I feel like chains hanging on me. Hanging on me, yeah. If we supposed to be free. When, when police officers see the worst of the worst and they see it on a consistent basis, you know, multiple times a week, you know, crimes against children and, and people that are just broken and where they're at, that takes a toll on us. Like, we don't always afford the opportunity just to leave it at the call itself. Sometimes that stuff comes home with us. Welcome to part two of Testimony, a Musician Story Presents Race and Reconciliation. In part one, we introduced you to Dallas-Fort Worth police officer Ben, a white guy, New Orleans rapper D1, a black guy, and Southern California rapper Ruslan, a white guy married to a black woman whom he shares their biracial child with. Part one focused on race and whether or not there is a issue with race in America. Officer Ben, Ruslan, and D1 all agree that there is an issue. In this episode, we will focus on reconciliation. But before we can get to reconciliation, it is important that we as a country recognize that there is a problem in order for us to work towards solving that problem. Yet, despite the countless deaths of Black Americans and the surveillance and cell phone footage of those deaths, there are still some deniers out there. Citizens are crying out to be heard, and many are hushing them. Why is that? Ruslan addresses that question. And oh yeah, just like in part one, this episode will feature various Christian hip-hop artists that have spoken up about race in America. For complete track listing, visit testimonystories.com. Take a look at my, take a look at my face. You listen in America. Are you listen in America? I woke up white in America. Trying to find my way. Back home to a place that I never been to. Grateful to the Lord for another day. And the system is failing us. Handing out nooses on the regular. That's what I see and we don't speak enough. And even when we see it, we don't do a thing about it. I guess it doesn't affect us till we see a white body laying dead in the street. Cut a police shot him. And most white neighborhoods don't have the same problems that the black ones face like every single day. And the news don't say it cause the corporations running in the state. Running all politicians are a joke. And the two-party system just killing us all the most. But let me fall back. I can hear my white friends pack bags and they headed for the dough. Take a look at my face. Because it doesn't affect them. If something is not affecting me, if I don't have any black friends, if I, like, here's, here's a practical example. I've been to maybe seven funerals in my lifetime, right? Two of them have been to people who have committed suicide. Two of them have been black unarmed men who've been killed by police officers. So those two issues, right, suicide and, and police brutality, police maybe overusing force, those are issues that affect me deeper because I'm closer to these things. If I don't have any black friends and I don't have any black friends that have ever been shot by police or have ever been, ever had bad experiences with police and I never hear about this and I don't have any context of it, well, of course, I, I'm just not going to care. That That's just the byproduct of, of, of humanity. Um, and so I think it takes relationship and it takes context and it takes 
interaction to have empathy towards someone's feelings and their reality of, man, this affects black people different than it affects me. And I don't know what it's like to be black. I have no idea what it's like to be black. But I know I know the, the issues and I know that what's what's happening, this is a re, this is their reality. And at the very least I can be empathetic empathetic to that. At the very most I can use my voice to speak out and say something about it. For some It may be difficult to be empathetic if you yourself haven't faced discrimination due to your race. If you don't get it and you want to get it, then it is important to interact with those outside of your race so that you can understand the context of the conversation. For those who simply just don't care to get it, they just may be dealing with a heart issue. D1 believes love can take us one step closer to reconciliation. Love is the first thing. You know, love for love for yourself. Because if you love yourself, there's certain things that you that you won't allow yourself to uh, to partake in because you know it's not a reflection of, of of loving yourself. If you love yourself, then it becomes easier to love your neighbor because you see how similar we are as human beings. You see that even if somebody is a different complexion from you, like we're we're all more alike than we are different. And I think love for self comes from um from knowledge of self, you know, and, and I think uh, I think knowledge of self, you know, comes from understanding who put us here and why we were put here. So for me that, you know, I my 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 faith, my belief system automatically makes it to where I know that I'm not I'm not that important to where I even have the right to feel like I can take somebody else's life. Even if I want to, even if my emotions tell me Yo, he made you mad, D. Go and do this to him. Like, as you know, I want to do that, but I have to understand if I if I really understand how how life works. Yo, like I'm not. I didn't, you know, I didn't even put myself here. So who am I to say I can take someone else from here? And I just think that it's a worldview that if we possess this this worldview that is rooted in love, it it can honestly um it can make you respect others, even if you don't understand others you'll respect others inherently just because of what they are, which is human beings. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think living life allows you to get a better understanding for other cultures and other ethnicities that you may not have grown up around. And, and that's fine. And that can, you know, that can help. Um, that can help police officers so that by the time they're in the force, they, they, they maybe have a better understanding or appreciation for different ethnicities to where they they don't walk in with an inherent fear of black people, or they don't walk in with you know just this this bias. Um, or same thing you know with with, with blacks to where we don't to where we don't have an inherent. A lot of times blacks we have an inherent fear of ourselves. You know, like black people are afraid of other black people a lot of times, and and all of this all of this leads to an outpour of violence and and just behavior that that, that that isn't rooted in love. That's what it all boils down. Why I need a gun? God got me, dog. I'm flexing, yeah, I'm flexing on, no. Man, Uno never got no weapon on, no. Man, I be up in every ghetto. I'm up in every hood. Walking around your section like what's good. I ain't got no gun. I got no gun. I got no And the blood 
Since D1 brought it up, let's address the Blacks killing other Blacks comment that is often used to negate the topic of cops killing Blacks. It's not an untrue statement, but it's like, what are we talking about here? Is this, you know, is this conversation about the police officers that have been killing Black men or is this conversation about the Black people who have been killing Black people? Because they're both occurring, you know, so like I'm not, like some people get upset when one gets brought up, one shouldn't get brought up as a substitute or a cop out saying it's okay, like it's justified for police officers to kill black people because black people kill black people. I mean, that doesn't make any, you know, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, it, 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 there are two true statements that police officers are killing black people. That's a problem. Black people are killing black people. That's a problem as well. It's like, what are we talking about? Why don't you with policing, are there any changes or adjustments that can be made on a national level with police departments that could potentially be made to lower, if not eliminate, some of these conflicts? Officer Ben answers that question. There's so many facets to it, right? Like, I think a big part of it starts in hiring. You know, as a part of the overall process to become a police officer, is the psychological evaluation. And as it is right now, we, we do a six-hour, um, and this is just my department and, and the majority of the departments in the area that I'm at, but we do a six-hour evaluation of an applicant before they're moving to the next round, and that's assuming they pass it. So we have a lot of those measures initially, but after they've been out on the street for a while, unless they've specifically... Uh, gone through a traumatic event, they may not receive any follow-up. And so I think that that would be an interesting avenue to uh, to explore is to encourage people to just follow up with, with mental health professionals. Because I know for, for myself, right, like when, when police officers see the worst of the worst and they see it on a consistent basis, you know, multiple times a week, um, you know, crimes against children and, and, and people that are just broken. 
um, and, and where they're at. That takes a toll on us. Like we we don't always afford the opportunity just to leave it at the call itself. Sometimes that stuff um, comes home with us. And even me, you know, as as a rookie police officer, um, I was a I was a youth pastor, and I remember in training uh, a kid that had hung himself, and he looked very very much like a kid that I would have in my own youth group, and that stuck with me, and. Um, you know, that was something that I had to work through, and I, and I think we as officers can become jaded if we don't seek the, the proper releases for those emotions instead of just keeping it within, you know, or, or abusing some type of substance, uh, alcohol or pills or, or whatever else. But for me, coming home and spending time with, with family and being part of my, my body at church um, has been an incredible rejuvenation for me to move through those events. So I think that that would be a big part of it is kind of that that mental health assistance because it's just got a bad stigma just like it does in the military. You know, if you say, hey, I'm not dealing with this, they pull you off the front lines and you're treated different. In Texas, if I'm not mistaken, we were we are required to do basically 80 hours of training every two years. And, and we do go through you know, a, a racial quality and, and racial profiling class that, that talks about the dangers and how to recognize it and just general awareness. But typically, that's not always a recurring class. But I think, you know, even more than, than training, like, I, I think it's a personal thing. And I think that the people carry with them, you know, the, the thoughts of their, their friends, the thoughts of their family that they were raised in. Um, and a lot of it is fear-based, right? Like I said earlier, if we're not around certain people that are different from us, we, we fear it because we aren't, we aren't around it as much. And so for me, that's one of the things that throughout this whole, you know, past six months, um, just in the, in the community division with, with law enforcement, even longer than that. But for me personally, really in the past six months, I really made it a point to really try to branch out and meet people of different backgrounds because that's how I learn. And I think that that takes away some of the, the predispositions that I have. Separate me from my family and give me hell, I'm having fun. Celebrate the fatal vanity of living numb and dying young. Is it my ways that make it so hard to run? I want to make a change. They see me switching lanes. I'm bending corners cautiously, can't get caught up in game. I think my mind playing tricks on me. A ghetto boy, my daddy told me they would trip for me. I never listen now, I'm wishing for a second chance. Don't want to live my life like this, it's time to make amends. Before I fade away, Johnny Law, looking for the suspect. I fade away, why they want to knock me for my hustle like day to day living in the crazy world they gave my brother life and took him from his baby girl and i know because i got older and i learned from my mistakes mistake my look for crook is crazy because i still get the shakes when i see the johnny love want to support testimony and musician story here's how we created a patreon account that allows you to financially support us while receiving perks one perk is our exclusive cuts. I have one to two hour long conversations with artists and cut it down to 15 minutes. So there is a lot of great content that I simply cannot fit into one episode. Our Patreon supporters will get those exclusives, plus conversations with myself and partner and engineer Gary. 
Visit TestimonyStories.com to find the Patreon link and support our ministry. When it's blood in the streets and you remain quiet, don't you come with a speech. When it pop, man down, done by police, hood cries. You ignore it, don't say nothing to me. When it pop, the hood been crying out, but no one ever hears, yeah, until they turn it upside down. Now everyone appears. Yeah. I bring up Trayvon, you say he was a thug. I bring up John Crawford, you say he had a gun. I bring up Eric Garner, you say he was overweight. And you say that Michael Brown should have never tried to run. Do you really not realize that it's a pattern that you not having compassion when these tragedies happen? Isn't it odd? Usually you sympathize with the victim, but this time you just continue to side with the killer. Could it be a part into the lie? Can we love the genocide? Yo, the hood got a record that none of us can deny. Some are killers and others pick it up just to survive You think you would be as holy if you grew up on this side No excuses, but you gon' have to tweak your perspective It's easy being sheep with them sheep for protected Get around them wolves and them teeth start projecting Second that you sleep, you can leave unexpected Officer Ben mentioned him being a part of his church body Being an incredible rejuvenation that allowed him to deal with some of his work issues D1 said his spirituality plays a major part on his outlook on life. So, can God be a part of the solution? And if so, how? Here's Ruslan and Officer Ben. I think we see Jesus consistently in relationship, or at the very least engaging with people that, you know, didn't look like him, or telling parables about, you know, the Good Samaritan, which was extremely at that time, extremely, you know, culturally um, just shocking. So you see Jesus, like, consistently addressing the issues of race, of racial reconciliation, in that love your neighbor as yourself, you know, that, that, that and who is your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is everybody. Ah, oh, you mean even the guy that doesn't look like me, that isn't the same ethnicity, that isn't the same, um, doesn't have the same sexual orientation, doesn't have the same belief system or faith, I'm supposed to love that person the way I love myself. Like, I think that is the response that Jesus gives. And I think if we look at the gospel as a whole, Jesus isn't responsible. Um, he's, not, he's not at fault for our sin. It's not his fault that we sin, right? We sin because we're fallen people. Yet, here is God stepping off the throne, coming to, you know, to humanity as a human, and taking responsibility for our sin on the cross so that we can be in right standing with him. He didn't have to do that, but he did anyway. It wasn't his fault, but he took responsibility anyway. And I think that should be the response of Christians, specifically, in my opinion, of white Christians who don't understand what's happening, don't understand why there's so much tension, racial tension. Um, Have you stopped to slow down and take responsibility for white privilege, for uh, a white supremacist system that we live in, and saying, you know what, it's not my fault. I didn't own slaves. I wasn't a part of creating the system. But this is the reality, and I benefit from the system, and I need to take responsibility for that. Not because it's my fault, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus took responsibility, even though it wasn't his fault, and he didn't didn't make anybody sin, but he still took responsibility for it. And that's the response I think we need to see from the Church, and I see a lot of people... Um, not responding that way from the church. We have an opportunity to respond 
and be empathetic and show grace and show mercy and show love and show acceptance and show understanding and seek to understand um, as as white people. And when we don't do that, then we become and we come off insensitive and we come off racist because we just don't understand. We come off like bigots because we don't care to understand. And I think that is the response I think the church needs to have and white people as a whole need to have is, is just starting from a place of like, let me seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Very well said. Um, I, I think ultimately, you know, the, the Christian's role in this is, is just to point to the cross. But I think in, in that pointing, it's it's not just assuming, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to say a quick prayer and, and think that everything's going to be all right. Um, it's going to take action. And it's going to take a lot of listening before you're speaking. And, and so I think that that's, that's going to be the answer in all this is, like I said, just, just going outside of your comfort zone and being like, man, this, this dude, I would typically never, ever talk to him because they're a different race or they're a different religion or whatever else. And just going, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to see what they're about. And that's how the barriers get broken down. I'm pumped that there's officers out there like Ben and, um, some of the guys that I'm in a relationship with that, you know, um, are, are sensitive, are empathetic. And I, I hope and I, and I believe and I pray um, that that would be the sentiment we see across America as a whole, especially in the church community and in the law enforcement community. Um, and so I'm just I'm grateful for uh, law enforcement and I'm grateful for um, the fact that the overwhelming majority of them are good um, servants that are desiring to, you know, contribute to society in a positive way. And I think um, as we see more and more uh, police officers, you know, speaking out, having this dialogue, like I think that's, that's where we start seeing the needle move. So that people make a lot of assumptions about who I am just because I'm wearing blue. Uh, they either assume that I'm really good or they assume that, that I'm not at all. And that, you know, I'm there to ruin their day more or less. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot of things going on behind closed doors that they, they never see. They don't see that, that you know, I'm, I'm listening to what they're saying, and I'm hurting for their situation, and I'm praying for them right in front of them. And I'm not saying that to, to receive accolades, but the fact of the matter is you don't know who you're dealing with ever. And that's whether cook or cop or, you know, somebody that's kind of in, in between, you know, uh, we just don't know who we're dealing with, and the ultimate thing is that, that we have to start with love, because love conquers all. That completes our two-part series on race and reconciliation. We would like to thank D1, Ruslan, and Officer Ben for the conversation. You can download D1's mixtape, Slingshot David, for free, and look out for the album this fall. It's David. Slingshot David. Man, I came in this game riding Greyhound buses. 40 hours from New Orleans to LA smelling mustard. Hustling hard so you can laugh and you can keep your opinion. Let me break my story down, starting with the beginning. Sneaking in the BT awards, no tickets, I'm thugging. Flying on my partner, buddy pass. Trey, yeah, I love him. Tried to give Jermaine Dupri a demo right in his hand. He ignored me, so I threw it at him when he hopped in his van. Man, I crashed on everybody's sofa from LA to New York. Did it with a three-person team. My brain, my voice in my heart, it wasn't no life, it wasn't no life, but what it is that I do, nobody ain't never put no dime up, I paid all these dues, I had no 
top dog, no Brian Williams, no Ben Walsh, no Zach Quinn, no Travis Time, no Turkey Man. So what? What I look like? Catch a fit? I'm grinding, I'm thugging. You think not? You bugging? I'm the number one hustler alive. End of discussion. Also, you could pre-order Ruslan's Americana album now. As always, I'm Brown Theory, the music lover, constantly seeking positive music. Thanks for listening. Do for one. A last confession. In an effort to be globally focused, I lost sight of those in front of me. The locally hopeless, my ulterior motives got the best of me. Now here's the rest of me. Trying to reach the thousands while ignoring my community. Resentment took root, self-preservation began fueling me. The fool in me thought I had it figured out. Now it's time to live it out. What if I could touch one? What if I could do for one what I would do for thousands? What if I was more present in the moment that's surrounding? Cause the present is where the presence of my God is founded. So I gotta be more present and present this hope. Serve and give on a mass to doing my part we spoke about. Changing the world one life at a time If I touch one, you touch one That's two lives on a line And two turns into four And four turns into eight And eight turns into forty Cause more people relate And before we have time to slow down And think and just wait We done touched a couple more thousand By speaking His grace Not just speaking but breathing And being His hands So that the love of Jesus Could reach the most deviant man Those far from God could be touched And be in His plan Cause I was right there And someone reached out When I couldn't stand on my own not just a handout, but a hand up. It's not about pity, but really helping somebody stand up. Every person, every street corner in our city, in our region, in our state, call it the Hope Committee. So let this hope be pervasive. Let this hope reach the nations. When me and you are long gone, may this be the way they remember us throughout the ages. It's amazing that God used us to touch lives and bring change. It's beyond big lights and big stages. Building platforms to be famous. Making lots of money so you can have lots of friends But you can't take none of that with you In the end, all that matters Is who we touch on this side of eternity And what's in front of us is where we begin We came a long way, but we got even further to go So let's begin Let's begin